But I want to share about courage. And, and the reason I want to share this is because of the, the two testimonies that we've heard here today. Um, you know, the reality is that God uses us as ordinary people. Ordinary men and women doing what they can do. And oftentimes, I think what strikes me is that we just never have a clue how far reaching certain things will be. When you help somebody, when you pray for someone, you know, uh, unfortunately, my sister is not here. Uh, my elder sister is the one who actually invited me to go to the, the gospel crusade. And she prayed for me, took me to the gospel crusade, that they are shared the gospel, got born again, didn't know I was going to be a pastor. And, and here it is. Pastor Lindy came over and talked to me. I didn't know what was going to happen. Here it is. This church comes from that conversation. And so I want to encourage every one of us today just to truly be a courageous person. I want to talk about courage, all right? Courage. We're living in, in times when I think when you look at the world and the way things are going about in our world, we may be really tempted to be people who live in a lot of fear. When you hear and see the outcomes of things in the world, we may be people who may get to a point where we just want to hide, we just want to keep to ourselves, and we don't have the courage to do certain things. For us to fulfill our destiny and our calling, we'll need to be courageous. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 7, and I'm reading the New King James Version Bible. It reads, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore, arise. Will you look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, arise. <laughs> look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor, you need to arise. It says, now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, to the land which I'm giving them, the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. You know, the sentence construction here is a little confusing. You know, God says every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, the, the King James says shall tread upon. And I'm assuming my English is still correct. It's been many years that I've been to school. I, I assume the word will or the word shall talks about the future. Am I right? Okay. Every place upon which the sole of your foot will or shall tread upon, then it gets more confusing. That have I given to you. So, which means the, the place was given even before you set the sole of your foot on. But it's already yours. According to God, it belongs to you. According to God, it's what he has provided for you. But even if God has provided it for us, we only take possession of it when we put our foot on it. In other words, we, we, must, we must do something. We must get moving. We must get into action mode. Or otherwise, even that which rightfully belongs to us, we may never come into possession of it. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread Upon that have I given to you as I said to Moses. So there, there are things that God has declared 
<laughs> about us in our lives. Whatever it is that either God speaks to you by his spirit, through his word, or it could be a desire, a vision, a goal you have, whichever there are things that have been declared upon our lives that can only come into fruition depending on what we do. Now, we're not ruling out the grace of God. Please don't misunderstand me. But even then, when God provides his grace, you must still reach out your hand and receive. We know that God so loved the world and gave his only begotten son who has died for the whole world. But for people to be born again, they need to actively take a step to receive Christ. John 1, 12, to all those who have received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. So this is very important. Then God goes on in verse 6, he says, be strong and courageous. For to these people you'll divide as an inheritance the land which I saw there to their fathers to give them. And then he repeats in verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. So God says be courageous. Then he says be very courageous. Why? Because every journey of destiny will have obstacles. Everything that we undertake, there will always be blockages. There will always be problems. There will always be challenges on the road. So we will need to be courageous. We will need to be very courageous. And that's the only way we can come into uh, possession of what belongs to us. So God says to his people, be courageous. In other words, for us to be able to fulfill destiny, we need to be courageous. And he says, if you are courageous, you will be able to prosper in everything that you do. Very interesting. That word prosper it simply means to be successful, to be able to accomplish. It says be very, be strong, very courageous. It says be careful to obey all that my servant Moses tells you. Do not turn from it to the right, to the left, that you may be successful, that you may be able to achieve. You may be able to be able to make headway. In the Bible, in basic English, it reads as follows. Only take heart and be very strong. Take care to do all the law which Moses, my servant, gave you, not turning from it to the right or to the left, so that you may do well. God wants all of us to do well. And I'm sure all of us want to do well. I've never met anybody who's ever said to me, you know, my goal in life is to be a big failure. I think all of us want to do well. You see it in children. You see it, you know, when particularly, you know, we have, a, we have two uh, grandchildren and it's quite interesting to see them when they're trying to do something. I mean, trying to walk or when they're on their bike or something like that. If they meet an obstacle and they want to go through the obstacle, they'll cry and they'll force their way through. Because they don't want any obstacle to stop them. You know, children will force their way through because they want to see themselves being successful. And the question is, what happens to us as we grow older? Do we lose the edge to try? Do we lose the desire to push through and move on. And God says you need to do that. All right? Now, the word courage has several definitions. One of them is the ability to do something that frightens one. That suggests that a person is courageous doesn't mean that they are not necessarily frightened. Now, I thank God for all those of you who are never frightened, okay? Maybe you are sitting next to one of them. Just look at them and say, you are a blessed person. Unfortunately, I'm not like you, you know. 
But, but there are some of us, when you have something, major project in front of you, it brings fear your way. I remember years ago in Tateatong, first time they gave me an opportunity to come and speak at Youth Alive as I stood in front of the crowd. I was so afraid. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not afraid right now. I'm just less afraid, but I'm still afraid. But all of us have to deal with fear. So courage doesn't mean you're not frightened, but you still go ahead anyhow, even when you feel frightened. Courage, secondly, means bravery. Strength in the face of pain or grief. Dictionary.com defines courage as the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain, etc. with bravery and without fear. Very important. It's a quality of mind. You, it, it, you just have to decide this is what I'm going to do. Merriam-Webster Diction redefines courage as mental or moral strength to venture. When you're a courageous person, you'll try and venture. You'll try and do something new. Maybe go where others haven't gone before. Mental or moral strength to venture, persevere and withstand danger, fear or difficulty. I mean, what can we say if we don't quote from the Cambridge Dictionary? The Cambridge Dictionary says courage is the ability to control your fear in a dangerous or difficult situation. End of quote. Very interesting that, you know, there's a time when athletes were interviewed about, you know, the fear factor. That, you know, before you engage in a race or you play soccer or something, are you ever afraid? I mean, if you're going to go into a, a, the boxing ring, are you ever afraid? And many of them acknowledge that, no, I'm afraid. But it is that fear that causes me to prepare myself even more. So we can use fear either to paralyze us or we can use fear as an incentive to do better. See, 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 the reason I'm saying, the reason I write out all my sermons, just to tell you, by all my sermons, everything I'm saying is written down. Uh, and the reason for that is that I, 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 I'm afraid to blank out. Because I don't like standing in front of a crowd. So should I blank out, I'll just go back to my notes. So the, the, the fact that I'm afraid to blank out causes me to apply myself more. Same as you. You see, fear shouldn't paralyze you. You can use it as a stepping stone. So, so courage is simply this. Number one, bravery in the face of danger. Number two, steadfastness in the face of opposition. Thirdly, action in the face of resistance. And number four, optimism in the face of despair. Let me say that again. Courage is simply bravery in the face of danger, steadfastness in the face of opposition. You know, every vision, every mission will get opposition. Anytime you try to do something, there'll always be something or somebody who tells you that it cannot be done. And sometimes that somebody is you. You look at yourself and say that I'm too young, I'm too old, or I'm too poor, or I'm too whatever. You know, I always do something, you know. But you just have to decide that even in the face of all of that, I'm still going to do it anyhow. Number three, action. Uh, courage is action in the face of resistance. 
And we need to understand resistance doesn't necessarily mean you are out of God's will. And resistance doesn't mean give up on what you're trying to do. In fact, most people who have ever accomplished anything will tell you how much resistance they faced. I was in Ghana this week. From Monday, I came back yesterday. And we met there. There was many, many people in a very big conference. And there was a lot of leaders from about 62 nations, you know. And we were talking about ministry and all of that. And, and, and you know, it's interesting. There's nobody who's not going through problems anywhere in the world. They're just, they're just, you know, different depending on the circumstances in that nation. But every nation of the world, you know. There's a pastor who came in there who uh, is in, in, uh, in, in France, you know. He's, uh, he was telling us they've built a, a very large auditorium. I think it sits about 10,000 people and spent a lot of money on it. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of money. And he was telling us the, the, the opposition they faced, you know. The city wouldn't allow them to build a church building. So what they did, they then built a conference center. You know, you, you know you, there's many ways to skin a cat. So they just built a conference center and, and then let out the conference center to the church. And he, when he told us the things they've had to deal with and how many years it took them to build, you know, there are all kinds of obstacles in their way. But finally, it did get built. May I encourage somebody? Finally, by God's grace, you will get there one day. May not be next week. May not be next year. But as we say here in Soweto, one day is one day. Yeah, one day is one day. Yeah, you will get there. Action in the face of resistance. Number four, optimism in the face of despair. God help us. I mean, there's not much in the world that's inspiring us to be optimistic, you know? The world is moving us to being so pessimistic, so much despair, so many problems in the world, you know? And so let's be optimistic and let's try to do something. Try to help somebody. Let's give you a few quotations about courage. Mark Twain says, and I quote, Courage is, resisting, is resistance to fear, mastery to fear, and not absence of fear. End of quote. Winston Churchill says, and I quote, Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. End of quote. Yeah. Whether you fail or if things don't work, just continue. Sometimes you don't get it first time around. You don't get your degree first time around. Yeah, just enroll again. Nice thing is when you graduate, they don't say, ladies and gentlemen, this one is graduating cum laude, but it took them 10 years. No, they don't say that. It's, it's the same degree, same thing. No matter how many times you do it. Mary Truman says, and I quote, men make history and not the other way around. In periods where there is no leadership, society stands still. Progress occurs when courageous, skillful leadership sees the opportunity to change things for the better, end of quote. We see the leadership crisis that's there in the world, in all sectors. And it's amazing that in spite of all the crisis that's there of leadership, there are places where there are people who are doing well. Oh, yeah. Even in countries where the economy is not doing well and things are bad, there will be a company that's making it. 
Because someone in there has the courage to do something. Look at your neighbor and say, I feel like I'm sitting next to that someone, which is you. Which is you. You are the someone. When we read God's word, we know that we encounter several women and men who demonstrated courage. And we need to learn from them. That's why Hebrews 6.12 says, and I read the NIV Bible, we don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. There are men and women who through faith and patience they've inherited the promises. In other words, the promises were there. The promises were theirs. But to inherit the promise, you need these two ingredients, faith and patience. It's courage. You've got to put your foot on your land. Take a step. Do something. The message Bible says, don't drag your feet. Be like those who stay the course with committed faith and then get everything promised to them. So what we want to do, we want to imitate their faith. We want to imitate their patience. We want to imitate their courage. Those who've lived before us, who were able to inherit those promises, they were able to get what God had in store for them. Let's start with the first one, Joshua. Joshua demonstrated what I believe, courage to fulfill destiny. Can you imagine being Joshua? Taking over leadership after a guy who used to speak to God face to face? Can you imagine? Being the man who was with God on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Would you like to be Joshua and follow after a guy who just raises his hand and then food falls from the sky, raises his hand and the, the sea opens and raises the hand. No wonder Joshua was so scared. And God said to him, as I was with Moses, and I'll be with you. But I like the way God puts it. He says, my being with you in the same way I was with Moses is no guarantee, Joshua that you will be able to fulfill your destiny. What you will need to do is to be courageous. You need to be very courageous. Note in verse 6, be strong, Joshua 1, 6, be strong and of a good courage, for to these people you will divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. So it really takes courage to fulfill your destiny. Where are you in your life? What about your goals? What about whatever it is you want to do? takes a lot of courage. I'm telling you, it takes a lot of courage. Number two, it takes courage, secondly, to be single-minded in following what God has told you to do or in following your Bible-based convictions. Unfortunately, the way our world is going today, it's almost like truth is relative these days. It's kind of like, you know, it depends how you feel, you know. It's like, you know, there's no absolutes. You know, you can't, uh, you can't define things clearly now and say it's this way and that way. So we, we, uh, we are no longer challenged to live by conviction. Instead, we are pushed into a corner to live by preference. So, you know, it just depends, you know, uh, on the circumstances on which side things are. So, you know, just go with the flow. <laughs> Just, just blend in. Don't have any conviction. See, preference is negotiable. Conviction is not negotiable. Preference looks at circumstances. 
Conviction this time is based in our case on God's word. Now it doesn't mean we don't become loving. We can reason things out. We can't use wisdom. I'm excluding all of that. But there comes a time when we truly have to be convinced about what God is saying. Joshua 1.7, God says to Joshua, be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all that the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you to do. Then he goes further. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left hand that you may prosper wherever you go. All of us is going to be demanded of us to make a choice at some point. I think, this is just my own view, you know, I think God would rather you make a choice, even if it's wrong, stay with your choice, than to, than to be in the middle, and to be, I mean, in the book of Revelation, God says to the church, says, look, look, I would rather you were, you were hot or you were cold. Says, Mara, you are, you are, you know, he says, I'd rather you, I'd rather you, he says, but you are lukewarm. Sitting on the fence, negotiable, preference. There comes a time when we need to do that. More and more, as things unfold in our world, it's going to be demanded of us to show some conviction about certain things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll need to believe what God says. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be wise, we shouldn't be considerate, but we're going to have to believe what God says. And let me tell you something. Even in your own life, you see, there are things that you need to decide where you want to go with your life. You know, you say, this is the direction I'm taking. This is the career I'm pursuing. This is what I'm now. I'm not saying we can't be bivocational or trivocational. When it's four, is how many? Quad vocational. When it's five, is what? It's, we've run out. When it's six, is what? You, yeah, you can be that vocational. I'm not saying you can't. But even when you are quad vocational, you've chosen four out of the many. Even then, you, you still say, these are the four that I'm going to do. Because you can't just do everything and expect to achieve something. Look at your neighbor and say, why are you not saying amen? Is he talking to you or something? <laughs> Look at Joshua. Joshua 24, verse 14. He's challenging his own countrymen. And he's, he's talking to them at a time when they're vacillating. They're no longer sure whether they're to follow God or not because they've experienced problems. They're not sure about this faith thing. They're not sure about this following God thing. And Joshua stands up in Joshua 24, 14. He says, so now fear the Lord. Worship him in total commitment. I'm reading the Message Bible. Get rid of the gods of your ancestors that your ancestors worshipped on the far side of the river Euphrates in Egypt. You worship God. If you decide that it's a bad thing to worship God, then choose a God you'd rather serve. He says, look, if it's not God, then choose. You know, and he says, I like the way he says it. I mean, this guy, he's, he's facing his countrymen and there's millions of them. He says, do it today. I can almost see him in my mind's eye. Do it today. Choose one of the gods your ancestors worship from the country beyond the river or one of the gods, the Amorites, in whose land you are now living. And I like it at the end. He says, as for me. Oh, as for me. You know, in other words, I've decided. When we're in the Eastern Cape, in Corsa, we say, great. Look at your neighbor and say, great. great. As for me. As for me. All of us, we come to that point in our life where you have to say, as for me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Many of you became Christians when you were in your teens. 
You know that even as a young people, there are many moments that are an S for me moments. And doesn't end when you're a teenager. Nah, you have an opportunity throughout your life, at every stage in your life, even as a young adult. Eh? And then you get married. Yeah, there's many S for me's. <laughs> Look at it, they say S for me. He says, as for me and my family, we will worship God. Can I hear an amen? Be single-minded, single-minded. Number three, it takes courage to put all your trust in God and abandon your faith to God and refuse that humans should be your source. Our example is Abram. God takes this man, starts talking to him, gives him a promise that if you follow me, I'll work mightily in your life. Abraham at this time, he's relating with the king of Sodom. And Abraham had gone out, gone out to war, had fought successfully. In Genesis 14, verse 17, I read the NIV, it says, after Abraham returned from defeating that place, I don't know how to pronounce it, Kedor or something. <laughs> and the kings allied with him. The king of Sodom came out to meet Abram in the valley of Shaveh, which means the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed Abraham. Note that. Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, blessed Abraham, and it says, Blessed be Abraham. By the Most High God, creator of the heavens and the earth, and blessed be the God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now note verse 21. Then the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. So Abraham had come back with the loot, had defeated, had come back victorious rather, and the king says, all right, give me the people that you've captured, but you keep the goods with you. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and I've taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you. Wow. Not even a thread or a thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. <laughs> now, let's not misunderstand Abraham. Nothing wrong in receiving help. All right. There are times when we receive help and it's all in order. But I think Abraham saw through this king that the reason he was giving him something was to put a hook in him. And we really need to have the courage at times, particularly when we find ourselves in a corner, to make that declaration, only God will be my source. And my fate is in the hands of God. It takes a lot of courage. You know, in our country, when we hear all the stories about people who compromised themselves, took certain tenders, did all kinds of things because money was offered and they were in a desperate condition. And when it's there in front of you, bro, <laughs> it's not easy to say no. You know, some people say, they say, every man and every woman has their own price. They say, maybe you never said yes because it wasn't enough money. 
you know, yeah. But there comes a time in our lives where we have to say, God will provide for me. I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to do the easy way. I'm not going to violate my conscience. I'm not going to violate God's word. I'm not going to step over other people, you know. Because by the way, things get revealed in the process of time. We don't want to see the hawks coming to anybody's house, you know, and taking things away. Number four, it takes courage. And I use this figuratively to kill the giants. Wow. Last week, we talked about David and Goliath, and we described in great detail who Goliath was and the armor that he had on. This man who, took, who stood more than two meters taller than everybody, who rather who stood, who was about two meters or taller. And he had this armor that weighed so much, intimidated everybody. But when David saw Goliath, he wasn't afraid. He was courageous enough to stand against Goliath. Note, David's courage didn't emanate from himself. Mm -mm. His courage was formed and influenced by his strong belief in what Jehovah God had said. It's not about who we are in our own selves. It's about our dependence in the God who is able to carry us. Note in 1 Samuel chapter 17, from verse 8, and I'm reading the NIV Bible. And I'm going to skip and read some of the verses. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to kill me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and servants. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man... And let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. See, what the enemy wants us to do is to forget what God has said to us. Yeah. We can easily forget. They quickly forgot the covenant that God had made with them. They quickly forgot that God said, your enemies will be my enemies. If they come out against you one way, I will cause them to flee you before seven ways. And this is the strategy that Satan likes to use all the time. He always loves to whisper all these negative things in our ears. And it builds a lot of fear. So Saul and the entire army were so afraid of Goliath that they forgot everything that God had said. Now skip to verse 16. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning. Isn't that what the devil does? Every morning, every day, there's this voice that's talking. You're not going to be do, able to do this. Your children are going to turn out bad. Your marriage is going to end. You're this, this, this. And there's always this. And if we listen to it, we'll be filled with fear. And that's what the enemy does. Every day, he says something. Every day, negative thoughts come our way. We said it in the last lesson we had. We may not be able to stop thoughts from coming into our mind. Any more than you can stop birds from flying over your head, but you can definitely stop those birds from building a nest in your head. We can definitely stop those thoughts from becoming a stronghold in our mind. We need to take them as the book of Corinthians says and cast them down and bring them down to the knowledge of God. We've got to believe what God says about us in spite of everything that we see around us. I'm not talking about living in denial. We are not saying the problems are not there. All we are saying is that God is bigger than the problem. 
That's what we are saying. We're not saying there are no challenges, no. But we are saying God is going to be with us. Through the valley, through the shadows, he's going to be with us. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid. Why? Because you, God, you are with me. That's the one big difference. God is with you. Hallelujah. And if God be for you, who can stand against you? Wow. Verse 42 or verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistines with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. Now David is squaring up with a guy. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome. And he despised him. <laughs> and he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cast David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now watch. David said to the Philistine, You know what I like about David? When intimidation speaks to him, he talks back to him. Oh, yeah. He talks back. He doesn't just listen and quiver in his corner. He talks back. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. He's not depending on who he is. He is depending on who God is. We need to depend on who God is. We need to declare what God says. We need to believe what God says. Verse 46. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me. And I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. Oh, I like this guy. He says, today I will give your carcasses to the Philistines army, to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the earth, to the whole world, so that the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know. Oh, they will know. They will know. They will know that there is a God. That it's not by sword or spear that, that God saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistines moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly. I mean, this guy, he runs towards the giant. Many people would run away from the giant, run from the giant, run from the problem. But you see, if you know what the word of God says, and if you are convinced with what the word of God says, there is something about the word of God in your heart and in your spirit. And we see David running towards the Philistine. Watch what it says. As David moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to beat him. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Now we know that David wasn't strong enough to do that. I mean, let's face it. No way. But what happened? What happened? See, God gets involved. When you take the posture of courage. And not just empty courage. Courage based on what he said. I'm not talking about wishful thinking. I'm talking about whatever God has promised. Whatever God has said. If you take a posture to say, I'm going to believe what you said, God. And God, I think, put his anointing and his power upon that small stone. And he made it into a missile. And brought down the giants. May I say... God is going to bring giants down in your life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By the help of God, the giants will bite the dust in Jesus' name. There are many giants that come and try and destroy our families, destroy our financial life, destroy our future, 
destroy our generational lineages. But God is able. Can I hear an amen? amen. And not only is God able, God is willing. Amen. Oh yeah. David triumphed over the Philistine, verse 50, with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Oh, someone is going to cut off the head of the Philistines and the giants. In the name of Jesus. Number five, it takes courage to make a choice to sacrifice and suffer for the cause of God's kingdom. It takes courage. You know, it takes courage to live for God by his because there are times in our walk with God where our faith may not make sense. Yeah. Come into that season where it doesn't make sense why the prayers are not answered. doesn't make sense when you've done your best to live for God, but the outcome doesn't match. There's a time like that. There's times like that. really takes a lot of courage when you believe God and it, it, and it looks like everything in your believing God, in living right and doing what's right, that everything about your life doesn't reflect that. See, we must move away from serving God simply because we get the benefits. Yeah. Oh, we all need benefits, it's true. But I tell you, there are times when, even when you serve God, a lot of things don't make sense. You know, as, as a pastor, that's one of the things that just as I started as a young pastor, it struck me a lot. You know, I, I used to think, Pastor Lindy, I used to think, you know, I can answer everything that people ask me, you know, and, and quote a verse. You know, that's, that's what I thought. And then some people would come for counseling, and when they told me their story, I stopped listening to them. I was praying hard and said, God, what am I going to say? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Because there are people, they're serving, they're doing well praying, following God, doing everything. But the outcome, there's parents who raise their children in godliness. They don't only tell them about God, they model their life. And then the children, just, in Africans we say, eight to course eight. Just, and it doesn't make sense. There's scissors in our lives where it doesn't make sense. But I like what Dr. Fred Price said. He says, it's not sense, it's faith. Amen. Believing doesn't make sense. God never called on us for it to make sense. He, he called on us for us to believe what he says. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. But there are those seasons where it just doesn't make sense. Let me share this with you. I, I know we've shared it before. Now, I'm saying this to try and encourage somebody. You know, we would go to a minister's meeting back then before we had a church building and in the early days, you know, and we would share in the, in the minister's fraternal and everybody would give a testimony. And I mean, it used to be so discouraging for me because as everybody shared, this one shares and says, you know, I, I, was, it was, I was at home and, and someone came, a member of the church came and they gave me an envelope. When I opened an envelope, there was a, a, car, a, the, a car key in the envelope when they'd given me a car. Hey. And this other one says, no, this member came and he took me to a boutique in, in Santon. And when I got there, he says, choose any suit you want. Hey. And this other one says, no, 
somebody just took, took me and said, we're going to have dinner at my house. I go to their house. And as we were eating, they just stood up and said, I'm giving you this house. <laughs> now, it was my turn to give a testimony. <laughs> my testimony is, last week we lost 10 members who left the church. And I mean, mine was, and I remember, I'm being honest with you, it caught you upon one day, and I thought, God, this is, in fact, first of all, I stopped going to that... Uh, <laughs> I mean, going there, I was just hating myself. And then I remember I was talking to the Lord about this. I said, but God, this is not fair. No, 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 this is not fair. I mean, really, you know, you become a righteous Pharisee. I pray three times, I fast four times. I was... God had to deal with me about that. And finally I realized, you, you don't do it to get anything from God. You do it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. In fact, the strength of our faith is developed more when it, things don't make sense. James says it is the trying of your faith that produces patience. And patience doesn't mean waiting for a long time. Patience means steadfastness, hard like a rock, standing there, immovable, unshakable. It's when your faith is tried. When our faith is not tried, we kind of skim along. And this is why when you read church history, you'll find that the church is at its best and its strongest when it experiences persecution. Read the Bible, read Bible church history, you'll find that at a time when the church is experiencing persecution, that's when it's at its strongest. But when everything is nice and easy, then we even have those who are not so sure about this thing joining the crowd. Yeah. But the trying of our faith produces patience. Look at your neighbor and say, God is speaking to us today. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let me close quickly. What number were we on? Number five. So number six. It takes courage to follow your God-given dreams and pursue them until they are fulfilled. I'll end with that for the sake of time. It takes courage to follow your God-given dreams and pursue them until they are fulfilled. You know, one minister was saying, you know, <laughs> he was saying it very, very interesting. He said, you know, when you read the Bible, the way God talks, you know, when God speaks to you, you know, and when, when he tells you about your destiny, he said, I wish God would say it differently. Because when God shows you the, your path of destiny, it's like it's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> you know, when he spoke to Abraham, he said, I'm going to give you a child. Abraham thought, yeah, tomorrow, man, vugala. I. And how old was he when God spoke to him? He was, he was, uh, he was 90 years old. Yeah. At least there was still a bit of a chance. 90 at least. You can try. We won't explain. We're in church, by the way, but you can try at 90. All right. and, the, and the wife was 80 years old. So she's 80, he's 90. God said, I'm going to give you a child. And then God lets them wait for 10 years. Hey! The guy gets to 100 years. And the wife to 90 years old. And only then does God bring it to pass. And Romans 4, he says, Who without hope believed in hope? That God will bring about what he said. I wish God was a little bit more 
You know, when he spoke to Joseph, he was in his teens. Brother was 15, 16 years old when he sees his family bowing before him. And he thought, hey, tomorrow. Now they're all going. And he goes there, you know, he's so excited. He tells everyone, says, you know, mama, you know what I saw yesterday? Dad, you know what I saw? You were bowing. And all of you, my brothers, you are bowing. I'm the man. <laughs> uh, what God didn't tell him is that you're going to be sold into slavery. You're going to be thrown into a pit. You're going to have a potiphar happen on you. Huh? And it's only going to come to pass 15 years from now. And I think that's why we stumble when it comes to what God shows us about our destiny. We think it's going to happen tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One minister said, you know, what we don't realize is that to God, it's not so much the fulfillment of the vision that's important, but it is the development of our character to be able to handle the fulfillment of the vision. Oh, yeah. You see that prison story with Joseph? Him helping people whom he said, when you get out of here, tell them about me, bro. Put in a word for me. And then they get out of prison and they forget about him. He had to learn in prison to be forgiving. He had to learn to throw away things of yesterday. But even in prison, the blessing of God was on him. Even in prison, God was trying to show him. Even if you are wearing orange. Overall, like we have the orange overall. When the blessing of God is on you, it's not a matter of what status you have in society. The blessing of God is on you. Oh, hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, the blessing of God is on you. Oh. And finally, after God has taken him through the school of character forming, now he's forgiving, now he's more patient. Now he no longer worries if his family is going to bow before him. When he has forgotten about all of that, God says, okay, now you are ready. I can trust you with power. I know you won't destroy people with that power. Because it's not so much what I do through you, it's what I do inside of you. Oh, let's hear an amen and a shout in the house. It's about what God does on the inside of us. Oh, yeah. Takes long. You know, it's... You know, we, in, in our Bible school, you know, we were taught, you know, you see, meet all people who are running churches and so on. Personally, I'm, I'm making a confession now. Yeah. When I come from Bible school, then they say, write down your plan. And it's, it's not, there's nothing wrong writing down your plan and write down your plan. First year, I'm going to have a church. Uh, we'll have, I'll start this way. We'll witness to people. Maybe we'll have conservatively five members. And then if we work hard and we go through the principle of multiplication, you know, in two months' time, we will have at least 10 members. And then by the end of the year, conservatively, we should be having 100 members. And by, by the time it's two years, how many? We should be 500. <clears throat> uh, two years comes, you still have your five members. And you don't even know how they got retained, those five members. Because you're doing all the work, you're doing all the praying, you're fasting, you're binding the devil, you're kicking the devil. Anyone knows what I'm talking about? Binding and losing, naming, claiming, framing, shaping. Until you get to a point where you say, you know what, I'm just going to do what God says. doesn't matter if they come or they don't come. And when you get into that attitude, God says, okay, now I'm ready to trust him with a little bit of more people. 
Oh, someone say hallelujah. Because some of you, you are, you've, been, you've been waiting for your dream. You've been waiting for things to come to pass. And you're wondering why it's taking so long. Mar, don't worry. Habakkuk says the vision is for an appointed time. Says in the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come to pass. It takes courage to follow the God-given dream. When everything else is going wrong, to still rise up and say, God is not a man to lie. God is not the son of man to change his mind. Whatever God has said about you, has said about me, will come to pass. If only we will become courageous. Can I do one last one? As I continue to conclude. All right. This one I like. I think I have to end with this one. Number seven, it takes courage to rise from failure and disappointment. It really takes courage. <laughs> many of the pastors that I met, let me say several of them, we've related for many years now. You know, we were in our 20s when we started the ministry. Now we are pensioners. <laughs> It's a long time. And you know, the interesting thing in our discussions was, I think we are much more humble now (laughs) than we were when we were 20s, in our 20s, because we've had so many failures. We've had so much crisis on this journey that we have become more understanding, more forgiving, more loving, you know, in my 20s, when someone did something, I said, it's because you did this and this and this. And this. I will never do such and such. And then a few years later, I did it. And what happens? You don't comment anymore. When you see somebody, you just keep quiet. You see some 20 years, say, no, it's because you say, hey, when? wait, life will teach you. <laughs> no wonder when you read the Bible, you see The big heart that God has for all of us. To give us a chance to rise from our failures. That God doesn't allow our mistakes and our wrong and our failures to define who we are. Failure is what happens to us. Failure is not who we are. Somebody said failure is the school of champions. It's the university of the people that God wants to use. I mean, imagine... Peter, saving Jesus, and he's the 20-year-old. He wasn't 20 years old, but he's behaving like one. Every time Jesus is with Peter, Peter is the one who's talking. Hey, Peter. Jesus takes them up on the mountain of transfiguration. Our brother says, Jesus, let's stay here. Let's not leave, we stay here. Jesus one day is washing their feet, you know. Our brother says, Peter, don't just, Jesus, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands too. <laughs> hey! You remember the story when Jesus came to his disciples who were in a boat and he's walking on the water and all of them were afraid, they thought it's a ghost. And Jesus says, hey guys, cool it! Chill! It's me! Everybody's scared. Everybody's afraid. Everybody's quiet. <clears throat> But our brother, <laughs> Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come. Yeah. 
Did you say chachara? <laughs> but then Jesus is with his disciples on that night when he was just about to be crucified, says, all of you are going to betray me. Everybody's quiet, doesn't say anything. <laughs> Except our brother. Lord, me, I'll never betray you. If it, I'll die for you. Before the cock crows, you will have, you will have, you will have, you will have denied me three times. You know, when you read that story, it's a painful story when you read it. It says on that night, after Peter had denied Jesus the third time, it says Jesus and Peter, their eyes locked. Jesus standing here, Peter standing here. So Jesus looked at him, their eyes locked. As though Jesus is saying, told you so. And, and Peter is so discouraged by this. That the Bible says he went outside of the city and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine having been with Jesus, your Lord, three and a half years, watched the miracles, being there with him, heard his sermons, all kinds of things. On the last day, few hours before he dies, you betray him. Can you imagine the feeling? Can you imagine the remorse? How are you going to change this? Particularly when they told you. Can you imagine? Goes outside, he weeps bitterly. But then you'll understand why when Jesus came back, he tells Simon, he says, Simon, Simon, <laughs> Satan had asked you to sift you like wheat. But listen what he says, he says, but I prayed for you that your faith should not fail you. Watch, he didn't say, I, I, I prayed for you that you shouldn't fail. He said, no, no, that's not what I prayed for. I just prayed that even if you fail, you hold on to your faith. Ah, because sometimes we fail. Ah, we do. Peter, even if you fail, you still come back to me. Peter, even if you fail, you still turn to God. You don't run away from God. You run to God with all your mistakes and all your failures. Even if you fail, Peter. So after Jesus is raised from the dead, when, he, when the women come to the, to the tomb and he meets the women, he says, go tell my brother and aunt Peter. He singles out Peter because he understands that this Peter, when Jesus spoke to him, he said, you Peter, you will be the rock of the church. You will be the foundation of the church. My destiny for you is great. That you have failed now, it doesn't cancel what I want to do with your life. I'm talking to somebody in the house. It doesn't cancel what God wants to do through your life. So finally, Jesus gets to meet the disciples. He comes to them. They're all gathered there. And Peter is like in the corner. The Bible doesn't say he's in the corner. That's my Mosasono translation. So <laughs> it's in the corner. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't wait for Peter to come to him. Because he understands the shame and the pain. He understands how the brother feels. Jesus takes the step to go to him. Oh, our God is a good God. He's, a, he's an awesome God. He's a, he's a gracious God. He is a loving God. 
that he will give us a chance not once not twice not three times but a hundred times a million times again and again and again because God wants you to know that you failed it doesn't mean you are a failure God wants you to get up from your failures God wants you to get up from whatever it is that has defeated you you need to get up takes a lot of courage to get up after you fall with all those scars on your face with tears going down your eyes to stand again and say God I commit myself to you again will you give me another chance can I start again like Samson who had done what he shouldn't have done messed around with Delilah now here he is his eyes are gorged out He's been made fun of. They're making jokes about him. They're mocking him. They're mocking his God. And he's sitting there. He remembers what he was told. He remembers how he went there when he was not supposed to go there. When he touched what he wasn't supposed to touch. He knows it was wrong, but he still went there anyhow. And now at this moment, when he's been made fun of and his eyes are gone, he thinks about it again. I know God I've done wrong. I know I didn't do right. I know in my first half of life, I didn't do what was right. But God, I know you are a God who forgives. And I know you can give me another chance. If you will anoint me again, if you will touch me again by your spirit, I will do in my second half more than I've done in my first half because I'm able to receive your forgiveness. God, will you touch me again? And this God who is able to love. And Paul says his love is too broad. It's too wide. It cannot be measured. It's too deep. It cannot be measured. It's an agape love. It's a love that loves us in spite of, not because of. It's a God who loves us in spite of who we are. Who comes to us in our sin and raises us up. And gives us purpose in our lives. And it is the same God who gives us a second chance. Will you rise from your failures today? Will you say to God, no matter what I've done, God, come back to you. Come with all my scars and all my disappointments. But I'm coming back because I know you haven't given up on me. Shall we stand on our feet, please? Will you raise your hands and just pray and worship the Lord for now, everybody? Just thank Him for His love. Thank you, Jesus. are here in this place you look at your life and you say you know the way in which I've lived it's really not been pleasing to God and I'm not talking about perfection but when you know that you don't remember ever receiving Christ as Savior and Lord of your life 
You don't remember ever doing that. And today as you're listening to the sermon, you realize that Jesus changes and transforms lives. And you want to accept Jesus and invite him into your life to be your savior and your Lord. Right where you are, as we're all standing, our heads bowed, eyes closed, and you need prayer. And you say, please pray for me. Jesus is not the Lord of my life. Would you please pray for me because I want to invite him into my life today. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you and you want to invite Jesus Christ into your life, you want us to pray with you. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? I want to pray for you right where you are. Just raise your hand. Raise it high. Let me see it. Thank you for those hands all over the place. Thank you. Thank you. One of the best things we can ever do, bring our broken lives to God. And God is able to change those lives. I see people way in the back, in the foyer there. God bless you. May I ask the people who raise their hands, I want to pray with you. Would you please just make your way to the front from where you are? Take your belongings, your Bible, your bag, make your way to the front. Those of you who are in the other churches, just walk to the front of that building where you are. There'll be someone to help you. If you raise your hand, come, let's pray together. Hallelujah. Just walk, just walk to the front. Thank you, Lord. Yeah.